Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim, here tonight with Lance, and joined via Skype by criminologist Liz Yardley, also the host of the very popular podcast Crime Bites. How's it going, Liz? It's going great, thanks. How are you two? Doing wonderful. It's great to have you back on. Um, the last time you were, uh, we, we spoke to you on our show, you were with Professor David Wilson, and you gave us um, a lot of insight into this, uh, the wound culture and web sleuthing. And since then, you've gone on to, uh, you joined up with, these are three other professors at uh, Birmingham City University in uh, the UK. Yeah, there's, there's quite a few of us involved in it. Um, so I, I start, started doing Crime Bites back in February this year, and it was just me and a couple of other people. So it was me and Professor David Wilson and, and whoever else wanted to, to get involved, really. Um, but since then, it's, it's really grown. So we've got um, some regular faces on the podcast. So there's myself, there's David, there's our, our colleague, Dr. Adam Lines, who specializes in homicide and violent crime. So he looks at, at serious killers um, we have another colleague Emma Kelly who runs the criminology program at Birmingham City University and we have our colleague Dr Victoria Silverwood um, who, who joined us uh, probably about six months ago on the podcast so yeah we've got some some regular faces and I always like to try and talk to criminologists at other universities as well um, in the UK and in the US so uh, we spoke to Dr Travis Linneman of the University of East Kentucky about his research on meth and and we've talked to, to lots of, of other different people so it's uh it, it's a really interesting thing to do and i've learned so much more about criminology than i knew before because as academics we have a tendency to sort of stay in our own little corner so i study homicide and violent crime and, and I, I i study the research around that and the cases around that and and often didn't look very much outside of that but it's exposed me to a, a whole other world of of criminology too so it's it's been a, a really good journey Great. And uh, and Lance, you were talking about Liz and David's appearance on Missing Maura Murray, which is actually our other podcast. This is uh, Crawl Space, of course. And, uh, but Liz was on Crawl Space uh, several months ago uh, talking about Crime Bites. So if you do want to hear uh, Liz and David uh, talk about the wound culture that is on our Missing Maura Murray feed. So tell us a little bit about this paper that you wrote what's the or you co-wrote what's the deal with web sleuthing news media representations of amateur detectives in network spaces well we've been coming across citizen detectives web sleuths in a, a lot of the cases that we'd become interested in and we wanted to see well is there any academic research about web sleuths is anybody actually looking at this this group of people these communities of people and we went and we looked to see well what research is there out there about this and there wasn't very much at all really um, and the stuff that was out there tended to look at web sleuthing around particular types of crime so there was quite a bit um, about um, online predators so sexual offending that kind of thing the paedophiles 
um, and, and, and investigating those particular types of offences, especially around paedophile hunters. This was uh, one of the, the concepts that, that we've come across um, in, in recent years in criminology of individuals who go online uh, pretending to be children and basically luring in people who would sexually offend uh, against children and then giving those people's details to the, the authorities. So there was a bit of, of research around that. There was also some research around terrorism and um, looking into the, the case of the, the Boston Marathon bombing. Um, there, were, there was quite a lot of web sleuth activity around that, but, but that was one of the cases that, that gave web sleuths a, a bit of a bad press because the, the identification of, of people who had nothing to do with, with that particular incident um, and the, the kind of naming and shaming of people on, on social media um, was something that was, was seen in quite negative terms. Um, so, so we wanted to, to look outside of that because we'd been interested in, in cases of, of homicide, cases of missing people, and we wanted to see well, what web sleuth activity was going on around that and what research has been done. And, and there wasn't very much research at all. So, so we thought, let's start having a look at this. And as um, criminologists who were interested in the media, that was the place where we wanted to begin. So most people will get their information about crime from the media and specifically the news media. So we wanted to see what was going on in the news media. What were the news media making of web sleuths, um, what, what kind of cases were they talking about uh, and how were web sleuths being presented to the rest of the world. So, so we set out to, to look at newspaper coverage of web sleuths and, and we identified quite a lot of, of different articles, different stories and that went back to 1998. So the press have been talking about web sleuths for, for an incredibly long time and, and we started trawling through some of that coverage. So how do you... Um get the analytics of that how do you how do you break that down and and um do you divide it up amongst your team and you say you look for these certain keywords and i'll look for these certain keywords and then how do you get the breakdown of um you know what percentage the searches are if that question makes any sense well essentially we get we get the the body of of all of the the, the articles that that we find so we we get it all in a, a massive long big pdf document and we'll individually go through, read absolutely everything that's been written and, and come up with, with themes, identify some of the, the key things that are, are coming up. We do that individually and then we all get together to discuss what we found. And, and then we, we just sit down and kind of hammer it out and say, well, what do we think these, these themes are until we, we get to a point where we agree on um, the, the key findings that, that are coming out from it. So, and often we'll go back to the, the sample of articles that we've looked at and read it again in, in light of, of what our, our colleagues have, have said in our discussions. So, so it, it's quite a kind of intense process. Um, and all the time we're drawing on, on criminological concepts that we use in our, our everyday work. So things like wound culture, uh, like we've discussed before, um, looking at, at the, the general kind of zeitgeist, um, what are the things that, that people are concerned and worried about in today's society? How is that coming out in, in some of these, these articles about web sleuths? So it's, a, it's quite an in-depth and a lengthy process, um, but, but it was a really, really interesting one. And how long did it take you, this um, article that, that you, um, you authored, how long did, did it take you to put this together and to the point where you felt confident to uh, put it out there? Um, between kind of starting the, the, uh, 
the, the research, initially having the idea for it and then submitting it to a, a journal. It was probably about four or five months. Um, and the, the kind of tail end of that happened uh, over a sort of holiday period where, where we're not teaching and, and, and where we're not kind of you know, up to our ears in student queries and that kind of thing. So had we have done it during term time, it would have taken uh, a bit longer. You just can't help yourself, can you, Liz? Seriously. <laughs> no. Well, this, this is um, – we, we do um, – David Wilson and I have this conversation all of the time that we have this tendency to get obsessed with, with our particular research project in the same way that web sleuths talk about getting obsessed with cases and once we're in the midst of writing an article or researching an article you we literally just tunnel vision completely focus on that and and that's great because we we've got a um a quite a significant output in terms of the the number of articles that that we've we've produced a number of research projects that we've done but but we do tend to uh, to get very absorbed in things and go down the rabbit hole yeah and you have an outlet too uh, which allows a lot of people to consume your work so at least you know it's not falling on deaf ears um what does your husband think of of when you get obsessed? I mean, that's one question we ask people about the Moira Murray case when they're wrapped up. Yeah, what is your spouse? Yeah, think? So, he, yeah, he kind of rolls his eyes and goes, "Oh, here we go again. I'm going to hear about nothing but this for for about the next six months." <laughs> so yeah, he's he's gotten used to it, and and he's he does provide me with quite a bit of useful feedback because he works in a completely different area to the one that I work in. Um, so he works in in the the accountancy world, which is a very very different uh, kind of beast. But yeah, it's good. He gives me some objective feedback sometimes, which uh, which which sometimes I appreciate, and other times I uh, I go hmm no. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and it looks like so one one of your graphs here it uh, it says fifty two percent of the articles about web sleuthing were written in the UK uh, as opposed to only twenty percent in the US and about twelve in Canada. What does that tell you? Well, it was really interesting um, because we were we were looking at, at newspapers from from across the world. So the database that we've got access to covers sort of national newspapers across the world. And one thing that we found really interesting was most of the cases that were being discussed in these papers were from the U.S. They were they were U.S. cases, but the newspapers came from all over the world and, and mainly from um, the U.K. And, and places like that. So we have this kind of bank of cases. Um, that, that are being discussed by the news media as having web sleuth activity around them, but but they're 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 being discussed in in different countries. So an awful lot of the the material for web sleuths seems to be U.S. cases, and I, I found that really interesting. And there might be uh, several reasons for that. Um, so um, we know that a lot of of true crime um, output, true crime programs and documentaries originate in the U.S. So they're, they're more visible, that the cases are, are more well-known, uh, perhaps, than, than cases from other countries. Um, but also, the, the, the phenomenon of web sleuthing seems to, to be born in the USA. So, websleuths.com, that was established in 1996, um, specifically in the early days to look at the John Bonet Ramsey case. So, so it's, it's really interesting how, how that's developed. The uh, section of the article between pages i think 7 and 21 um are all graphs and 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 pie charts and uh that was extremely exciting for me to, <laughs> to <laughs> we look. have a good pie chart <laughs> yeah I, lo I love several good pie charts lance loves pie i do a uh, good pie chart um 
the uh, the types of cases are interesting. You have, uh, I think it's figure four. It's around. It's page twelve, figure four. The types of cases. Um, can you can you elaborate on that? Missing people, mm. terrorism. Uh, you kind of touched on it with the Boston bombing, and um, then you have homicide with the the uh, Jean Benet Ramsey case. Um, what, what were your findings here? Well, essentially, the the articles that we found um, in terms of the cases that they were referring to, uh, a lot of them were referring to homicide and violent crime. And this wasn't particularly surprising to us because we know that the news media tend to overrepresent homicide and, and violent crime, even though when you look at, at crime statistics and, and when you look at what we know about crime as criminologists, the, the vast majority of crimes that happen are property crimes, they're drugs offences, they're, that they're not kind of grisly murders. But, but you'd think that, that they were if if you just solely went on on what the news media told us uh, about about crime. Um, but yeah, lots and lots of articles talking about web sleuths being involved in investigating homicides, missing persons cases. But also th- there was um, quite a few web sleuths looking into other types of crime as well. So property crimes, a lot of web sleuths were operating kind of solo on their own in order to track down things like their own stolen property, which we found really interesting. And also another aspect of this was that the tone of the articles. So the articles, when they talked about web sleuths looking into homicides and, and looking into violent crimes, tended to be quite critical of, of web sleuths, saying, you know, things like, oh, you know, perhaps leave this to the experts. It's not a good idea to get involved in investigating this type of crime. But when they were talking about people investigating property crimes and burglaries and thefts and things like that, they seem to be much more upbeat and much more positive. So it was almost as if it's okay to kind of take the law into your own hands and investigate your own crime when it's a property crime, when somebody's nicked your bike or your or your stroller or whatever, but but not so much in terms of violent crime. So, so that was really interesting for us. Do you think that's because um, the resources that law enforcement have, uh, they, they, they want to allocate those more towards the... I don't want to say the more important crimes, but if your if your bike was stolen um, or this uh, elderly lady was robbed during a, a I mean was murdered during a robbery, you know they obviously want to put forth more uh, um, they want to, uh, more resources towards that. So do you do you think that's where they where they welcome it? And it's sort of an invisible line, sort of like sure with a wink, like you can do it, but know your know your know your boundaries. It, it is really interesting because if we think about the, the current context, especially in the UK, we are living in times of austerity and we've had quite significant cuts to policing budgets here. Um, so it, that that brings into to the, the, the debate for us, you know, what, what role are citizen detectives playing and what role could they potentially be playing? And we know that when our, our current Prime Minister, Theresa May, was Home Secretary, she put forth a proposal for police support volunteers, for people to come and, and willingly give up their time to help investigate particular elements of crime. So people who were specialists in computing, in accountancy, those types of fields. So there was there's definitely an appetite there 
I think, for, for citizens to get involved in the investigation of crime. And, and I think this, this is going to be an issue that's, that's not going to go away. I think we're going we're gonna to see quite a lot of this. And as somebody who, who, who's interested in missing persons cases, um, the, the amount of, of research that people can do when they commit themselves to, to these particular cases um, is, is immense. It really is. Um, so, so I think there's, there's a conversation to be had there. And speaking of the conversations to be had, uh, the other pie chart that I liked was um, where these conversations are um, being referenced, what social network they're uh, being mentioned on. Was it was there any surprise there for you when you looked at it? Because uh, um, we're actually looking at it right now, and it's funny to see. Um, well, it's funny to see MySpace on there at a at a one point four percent. But eBay, I'm assuming that's something that is. Uh, if you had stolen property, they're trying to sell it on eBay. Uh, was there, tell us about any surprises you had in your research into this. Well, when we looked at the spaces that people were web sleuthing in, um, I think we, we approached this research thinking, oh, well, it will be places like websleuths.com and, and specific sites that are set up for people to engage in this kind of activity. But they were, they were web sleuthing all over the Internet. Um, people were using uh, spaces like Facebook and Twitter and, and back in the day, MySpace. But they were also looking on, um, looking on eBay and Gumtree and investigating crimes in, in those places as well. So it was happening all over, you know, as well as those specific sites and blogs set up to look at particular cases. Um, it, it's happening in places where you, you perhaps wouldn't expect to see it. But, but people are really in, in every corner of the Internet investigating crime. Yeah, Google is is one of them. It says um, 5.7% of uh, the conversations you found were, were held on Google. That was them using Google um, in the course of, of their, their okay. investigations. So so I, I should imagine that many people, when they're, they're starting to look into a case, that's where they first go. Let's just see generally what's out there, what's Wikipedia saying about this, you yeah. know, what are, are some of the, the, the news sites saying about it. So... So it, it will be interesting when we, we, we look further into web sleuthing to see uh, what particular pathways people take in terms of the, the, the crimes that they look at. So do they start off looking at Google and then make their way to the more specific areas of, of the Internet and, and what, what happens there? So we've only just scratched the surface, and I'm, I'm really fascinated to see how, how they make use of space in, in more detail. Right. Uh, I almost feel like that Google number should be higher than uh, 5.7. I feel like that's low. I feel like a lot of your web sleuthing should start on Google. I mean, obviously it goes other places, but uh, but yeah, I mean. Yeah, I yeah. think I thought so too. And I think perhaps what might be happening there is that some of the later newspaper articles we were looking at had almost sort of taken Google for granted. Um, so, so when we, we talk about researching things on, on the internet now, um, we, we don't kind of go out of our way to say, oh yeah, I started, you know, with Google because it's just kind of, it's become part and parcel of everyday life so much so that it's, it's not even perhaps mentioned, um, anymore when, when people talk about this phenomenon. Right. 
It's a it's a uh, fascinating tunnel that that you're going down, you know, and you're you're looking at the inner workings of how this um, this web sleuthing is is coming together. You're you know, it's it's really fascinating to actually look at the percentage of um, outlets and the p- percentage of, of you know the the demographic and, the, and where people are looking and how they're looking and how they're searching. Um, I could only imagine looking into say, um, you know, uh, Scotland Yard back in the day and, and going into their like file cabinets to figure out any sort of detective process. I mean, I feel like it's like you said that you're only scratching the surface on this and it's a whole ocean of, of information that is coming out of it, but it's also, well, how is it, where's it coming from and how is it, how, how are you, how are you pulling this information? Um, it's crazy. It's crazy. Like we just talked about the Google thing. And I, it, it strikes me maybe the Google number is so low because people have the information delivered to them on their news feed on their phone, so they don't really have to go to Google. They'll just go to Reddit and start posting. Right. No, I think they like conversing, kind of finding yeah. that uh, that information through other posts and then investigating that poster a little bit, which doesn't really involve Google. One thing I love Google for, uh, r- real quick, is reverse Google searching an image. Lance, that's something oh, yes. we've used a lot. Yeah, that's a big tool, a great tool for web sleuths, especially in what we do with Missing Maura Murray, because occasionally there'll be a picture that pops up, and it's like, oh, could this be Maura? And then you just throw it in the reverse Google search, like, no, it's this lady from this article that was written back in 2015, you know, or, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Or you get something yeah. totally opposite, and it's hilarious. Well, yeah, it's usually not what you're expecting. Right. Yeah. yeah, I first discovered the reverse image search um, when I used to watch Catfish, um, the, the MTV series. Yes. Um, and and I think I first started watching that because I was interested in this idea of kind of people pretending to be um, people who they weren't on, on the Internet. And, and it's a really useful little tool, isn't it, that, that reverse image search? It is. Um, can you talk a little bit more about about that? What you just mentioned um, about people kind of pretending to be um, what they're not is that something? Yeah. So when yeah. I when I first started looking into how the internet is used in in relation to crime, especially violent crime, um, I started looking at the the academic literature on that. And uh, around about ten or fifteen years ago, academics were looking at this idea of online predators because there was a bit of a kind of panic in society at the time because the the internet was becoming increasingly available in people's homes you know on home computers and and whenever we have a a new kind of invasive technology like that the first thing that people often start to worry about is the impact of that on children you know that the corruption of children and this is a theme that goes way back so even looking at, at some of the early true crime comics and magazines people were really kind of freaking out. Oh, my goodness, what if children read this? It's going to morally corrupt them. Um, and we saw that that theme come back in when um, when home computing really took off in, in sort of the, 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 the mid to late 90s and into the early 2000s. So th- this idea of the online predator, um, that the person kind of out there pretending to be someone who they're not to, to lure in vulnerable children. And we do have cases like that. We do have people who are, are pretending to be someone they, they are not in order to kind of ingratiate themselves with, with other people. But on the whole, that is quite um, – it's quite a small 
issue in terms of numbers. So um, Professor David Wilson and I, we did, um, just going off on a bit of a tangent, we did some research into the phenomenon of Facebook murder, mm. as we called it. So cases of homicide in which, which Facebook kind of appears in some form or another. And, and we, we started off um, doing this, this piece of research, trying to say, well, how do people use Facebook in relation to homicide? Is it all about luring unsuspecting victims? And actually, it, it wasn't. People were using social media in relation to homicide in very much the same way that we use it in our day-to-day -day lives. So uh, when we had homicide cases in which Facebook had been involved, it wasn't strangers kind of luring people online. It was often used within existing relationships. These homicides were amongst people who were already known to one another and that and Facebook had played a very different role in that crime to the one that we expected it to, to do. So we came across quite a few cases where um, there was sort of domestic abuse, domestic violence in a relationship and um, the perpetrator had been using um, Facebook to essentially see what their partner was up to and to, to monitor what they were doing and as a tool for, for control in that relationship. In other cases where we had um, homicide in between uh, groups of, of young men, it was often sort of used antagonistically. They'd be kind of... Um, uh, sort of facing off with each other on social media and that would escalate to kind of face-to-face -face violence. So so we've always got paranoia about predators, about online predators, about the vulnerability of, of children. But when we look at those cases in the grand scheme of things, they are still quite small in, in number. So I think Stranger Danger, it does take on a bit of a new lease of life in the age of the internet, but, but it, it, it's not so so significantly huge that, that that we should be unduly worried about it. Right. It's almost like um, the it's I hate to use the term, but the collateral damage of having of having the Internet, of having Facebook, um, Twitter. You know, you look at the, the good that this has done. I mean, Twitter and Facebook help help countries like form revolutions, you know, and, and help them, you know, form democracies. And then you have other situations where people use it just to stalk ex-boyfriends and girlfriends and, you know, perhaps try to figure out their locations and, and their, you know, private habits. Um, so is a trade-off, is a trade-off worth it in your, in your opinion, or is it just inevitable that this is going to be out there? I think it's really interesting when we look at the, the role of, of the Internet, especially when we look at violent crime, uh, because the Internet and social media, it hasn't changed the world in any fundamental sense, but it's changed our sense of being in the world. So we we perhaps think that we are closer to to people than we actually are. Um, we perhaps feel um, that relationships develop more, more quickly than, than they used to. Our sense of proximity, our sense of closeness to other people has sort of changed a little bit. And I think we're still finding our way in terms of those those values and those those rules of behavior in terms of what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. And often we've got different cultures coming together. So you've got everybody all over the world using the internet and, and, and some people come from very kind of traditional backgrounds and, and their ideas about, about relationships and friendships are very different from other people's. So it's we're still finding our way with that because the internet's only really been with us, you know, for, for 20 years or so on a, on a grand scale in, in everybody's lives. And, and it takes time to, to figure out yeah, how, how do you negotiate that um, amongst the people that you're connected to.
With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. And uh, another graph here shows group web sleuthing as 56% as opposed to 44% uh, as solo web sleuths. I, th- I think that's pretty interesting. I mean, we do know people, groups of people uh, who who search together. Obviously, we would be right. in, in that group um, portion of the pie chart. But uh, I find that interesting. What would you make of that? Yeah, well, we when we set out, we... we kind of thought that that people would be doing this in different ways depending on what they were trying to get out of it um but yeah so we we came across people who were um web sleuthing in groups so they were part of an online community that 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 was gathering around a particular website or a facebook page and then we came across people who were doing it on their own and that was often to investigate crimes that they'd been a victim of or, or just to, to follow their own curiosity. But we came across kind of two other subgroups as well. So as well as the group web sleuthing and the solo web sleuthing, we had um, people doing it in an organized fashion and people who were doing it more spontaneously. So you had these communities um, who were very kind of organized. They've been going for, for many years and it was a very kind of structured um, way of doing web sleuthing. They often had rules and and that they belonged to a forum where there was a code of conduct. So it was it was kind of organized. But then on the, the other hand, you had these spontaneous communities that kind of sprung up overnight in relation to a particular crime or a particular incident, like the Find the Boston Bombers subreddit. And they were were much more OK. They, they weren't here yesterday, but they're here today. And and the the kind of the people who were involved didn't necessarily know one another. And and because it sprung up overnight, it's very difficult for those values and those rules and those norms to be established. And I think that's partly responsible for the the chaos that erupted around that particular subreddit. Which is really what's um, one of the more fascinating parts about this article is how you start off um, uh, like showing us group versus solo and that that's an interesting t- uh, statistic but then you further go into the the fabric of it and and now it's 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 solo organized solo uh spontaneous group organized group spontaneous is there because that that's really fascinating to see how that breaks down is there is there a, a breakdown that you've looked into that is when a group or a solo starts off as spontaneous and then they continue on in a more organized fashion or is that almost like too um like is is that like too minute to to figure out yeah it's kind of difficult to get an idea of that because um we were looking at the the newspaper coverage essentially um for this piece of research um so we're only able to to look on a very kind of surface level and we need to remember we are looking at web sleuths who are newsworthy so these are cases that have actually made the the press 
Um, but that's what we want to do going forward is look in much more detail at, at, at what's going on. So we've we've got these categories, we've got these these sort of initial typologies, these initial ideas of what people might be doing um, around web sleuthing. And now what we want to do is is actually look in more depth at this. So this will be our, our next research project where we're we're talking to web sleuths themselves. We're launching an online survey that that people can fill in and tell us about their own activities. So and we think this is going to be a much kind of longer term project um, to, to really understand who web sleuths are and, and what they do and what drives them and and the kind of evolution of a web sleuth so when you first start off getting involved in in this type of thing do you stay in in one particular group that you start off with do you stick to a particular case or do you kind of move around and and, and look at different things and and we want to really want to capture the the essence of that really what about reporting findings to law enforcement? How often does that happen from web sleuths? And what is the relationship like? I feel like this is a topic I'd like to get into a little bit. Yeah, so we were looking at the kind of things that, that web sleuths were doing, the sorts of activities that were being mentioned in the, the press coverage um, about them. And, and they were doing a whole host of, of different things. So they were researching cases. They were, were discussing cases with each other. Sometimes they were sharing documents. Um, they were analyzing things together, uh, putting like a video up on a website, for example, and, and everybody chipping in as to, to what was going on here and what can we learn about the case from this. Um, the, there were some other activities reported as well. So often people were identifying suspects and trying to engage with, with suspects, um, trying to engage with, with victims and, and that type of, of thing. Um, in, in a few cases, the, the newspaper coverage talked about doxing as well, so releasing the, the personal details of people connected to, to cases. Um, and, and reporting the findings to law enforcement were, were just one of the, the activities that we came across Web Sleuths doing as well. So I think there are about 20, 20 or so different things that people do in, in terms of Web Sleuthing, different types of activities. And, and reporting the findings to law enforcement was just one of them. But in terms of the relationship between uh, the criminal justice system and web sleuths. It was a really mixed bag. So we came across um, a few cases where law enforcement were quoted in the press coverage as saying to web sleuths, well, thank you so much for helping us with this because this this helped us solve the case and, and we really appreciate your involvement. And often that was in relation to property crimes, so uh, burglaries and stolen goods and that kind of thing. So So the police were very kind of congratulatory sometimes in cases like that. But in, in other cases, they, their, their tone was incredibly cautionary. Um, it was, well, you need to, to make sure that you don't compromise the integrity of the investigation. You need to make sure that, that you, you report things to, to the police and, and don't go and kind of discuss them on, on social media. So there is, I think, a, a sense of unease. I think in that relationship between web sleuths and criminal justice, and this is something that we've we've spoken about before, isn't it? It's it's knowing, it's appreciating what an actual criminal investigation looks like, and some of the the, the standards and ethics that need to be upheld around an investigation. Um, but at the same time, web sleuths often feeling, well, I've put all of this effort into finding this piece of information or, or coming to this conclusion and I feel like entitled I feel like I deserve to to be in the loop as to, to what the police do with it but but often it, it's not a case of the police not appreciating what web police are doing it's a case of them trying to protect an investigation and a future prosecution well said I mean yeah. we we do get a lot of uh 
uh, comments and, and people reaching out and saying it's suspicious that they don't hear back when they've submitted something to a particular division of law enforcement. Uh, and they have to understand that they they need to protect the case if it's if it's a criminal investigation, um, which, uh, yeah. yeah, it's not suspicious. It's just typical if it, they don't get back to you. It'd be more suspicious if they did. <laughs> if they yeah. if they go back to you and said, "Oh, the DNA matches this person," <laughs> well, that's web sleuthing. <laughs> that is web sleuthing. And I think, I think this is this is part of the issue that we have around this. So um, we've we've got um, a, a really uh, vibrant true crime genre um, that that people watch on television. Um, they they read the books, they they watch the films, uh, and that they're really often thinking that, that they, they know that the way a police investigation goes and, and that they know all the ins and outs of it. Um, but actually, the, 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 the kind of access that we get to investigations through true crime isn't always what a real investigation looks like. So we have this idea that, that investigations happen really quickly and that, that the cops can solve these cases in a matter of kind of days or, or a couple of weeks, whereas in reality it can, can take months and sometimes years, especially in, in very complex cases. So we, we think we know what the criminal justice system looks like and how it deals with cases, but, but actually we don't. We're only seeing the kind of the stylized version of that through the true crime medium. And it sounds like a joke at first, but we've actually been watching for, I think, like over 20 years of Law & Order television show, the, the the Law & Order television show, which literally tells us it, it's Monday and then the, the case ends on like Thursday. <laughs> It tells right. you that. There's a title card that says, like, Monday, Tuesday, you know, and it goes right. through the entire criminal justice process in about a week or a week and a half. Yeah. So that's not realistic. But think about how long people have been watching that show and the different variations of that show. I right. But but so they watch it and they ingest it and they get the wrong idea of the legal system, ultimately. Right. I mean, I, since we've been doing this, I've been waiting for the for the uh, for those sound. Those the, the <laughs> dun, dun, I've, I've been waiting for that to just happen in my life. Just as there it a, is. We are in a really interesting, sorry, we are in a really interesting era for true crime, though. And I think that true crime podcasts have actually played quite a significant role in this. So I've recently done a, a piece of research with a, a, another couple of colleagues that, that I work with about the serialized true crime podcast. So, so things like serial, things like in the dark, um, things like missing and murdered. These 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 true crime podcasts that that look at particular cases often we're used to having an ending in true crime. So if we think of traditional true crime, you know, the cops catch the bad guys, they send them to prison, everybody can sleep safe in their beds, and and all is well and good with the world. But through the true crime podcasts, especially things like Serial, we've started to see the end of the ending. So we get to the end of, of these series and, and we don't know who did it. We don't know who was responsible. There are there are often more questions than there are answers. So true crime, I think it's starting to look very different from how it used to be. Um, and I think web sleuthing is in in part today anyway, a kind of response to, to shifts in, in that, that true crime. So we've got what um, some criminologists call the vertigo of late modernity. So we live in, in times of uncertainty where we don't have definite answers and, and we're learning to cope with, with that. So we saw the financial crash of 2008. Um, we, we, we see a kind of instability in society and, and we're not sure kind of what's going on and who to believe and fake news and all of this stuff. And we start to kind of gather 
around these these spaces of precariousness and i think uh, web sleuthing is is a as a manifestation of that so we're uncertain and we don't like being uncertain so we we go and hang out with other people who are uncertain who who help us kind of resolve it ourselves because the the actual show itself hasn't given us the answers interesting yeah. what was that again the vertigo uh, every time we talk i'm like i'm i'm just <laughs> i my my iq just goes up like <laughs> so there's, um, the... there's a really well-known uh, criminologist called Jock Young, and I recommend any of his work to anyone who's interested in delving a bit deeper into this. So he talks about the vertigo of late modernity. Um, he talks about uncertainty in, in contemporary society and how we cope with that uncertainty um, and, and how we, we, we make those those dividing lines between the, the, the criminal and the law-abiding and ourselves and the other and, and how those lines have become increasingly blurred in recent times. And, and we, we have this kind of state of anxiety about it. So anything by Jock Young is definitely worth a read for any budding criminologists. Noted. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, one question I had about, about TV, sort of about what we were just talking about and, uh, and law and order and how that's not really a uh, realistic um, vantage point of, of the legal system. Is there any show that you know of, like fiction or otherwise, that actually is useful for web sleuths? Uh, like um, one that comes to mind for me is Forensic Files. Like that one, I feel like, I mean, almost like if you were going to go out there and commit a murder, it's useful, though, because you know what not to do. Like all these little things get people in trouble or caught. Um, but is there anything out there that people could use as a guide uh, to learn a little bit? Um, I think I would check out any of the, the, the recent documentaries around crime that have been made by ITV in the UK. So they've recently had a series um, specifically looking at, at different types of crime. And there was uh, one by a very well-known news presenter in this country called Trevor McDonald. And he looked at the murder of uh, a woman called Alice Ruggles, um, who was murdered by her former partner, um, who'd been stalking her for, for quite a significant period of time. And I felt that the coverage of that case really did highlight um, some of the realities of investigations, especially around uh, domestic homicide and, and stalking and, and coercive control and, and some of those those things. So so that was that was a really, really useful um, series of programs that went out recently. Um, and and yeah, I, I think I think what what people really need to to do is is get a really broad range of of, of stuff that that you're looking at, whether that's true true crime or whether that's crime drama, uh, because we find that the, the the dividing line between fact and fiction has become increasingly blurred and uncertain in in recent times, and and we started to see the rise of the docudrama. So we've got. Uh, cases that that are real cases, but they're told to us in a kind of dramatic way, and and the parts are played by actors, and and I think that that makes things really really interesting. So we've had a few of those in the UK recently. Um, there was one I can't recall the exact name of it, but it looked at the um, the Rochdale uh, sex abuse scandal in the north of England, where there was a, a group of of individuals who were preying on young girls for many many years. Um, and that was dramatized. I, I've just remembered what that's called. It was uh, a documentary called, not a documentary, but a docudrama called Three Girls. And that was really good. And I think that's available on uh, the BBC iPlayer. But just, just get as, as broad a look 
at at crime and representations of crime as you possibly can and and it's it's seeing seeing these these kind of things through a really critical lens so all of the the time be asking yourself um so what are the implications of this um how is this presenting a particular group of people to me um and what isn't it showing you so what groups of people aren't being covered by crime television um who are the people who are being left behind because we've talked about this before haven't we the tendency of of media to tell us all about crimes that affect um particularly women um particularly white middle class women but we don't tend to hear very much about young black men um about about groups of of people who are kind of runaways and throwaways people who might have been involved in the residential care system we don't really hear their stories because they're not considered to be ideal victims we we don't give them as much sympathy as we give to to other groups so so see it as much as much as you you possibly can uh, a really wide range of, of of crime tv and and true crime and always ask those critical questions what is it not telling me as well as what is it telling me there's a an interesting graph here reported motives for web sleuthing and and this really kind of runs the gamut this is all over the place right and i think uh what you had just closed with there by saying look at um you know look look at every avenue and and uh also take a look at yourself and why and this yeah. is this is a good segue to that why are you doing this what and and are you actually like like really look at yourself are you actually doing it for justice or are you doing it for ego yeah well actually that's the one uh piece of pie that i don't see here is like attention or ego and obviously it's reported motives so no one you know very very few people are going to say that that's why but I wonder what that mm. slice really looks like here of this pie graph, how big that slice would be. Yeah, it was really interesting. So we came across a whole range of, of different motives. So some people were, were saying that, that I'm, I'm doing this because I want to help achieve justice and closure. Um, I want to uncover new leads or, or information. Others were saying, well, I've been a victim of, of crime myself. I've been affected by this type of case. Um, other people were just fascinated with a particular case. They'd become kind of obsessed with it. Others had this desire to help the victim or, or help their family. And and some people felt a sense of proximity to the case. So even if they didn't know the people involved, they they felt like the people involved could be their mother or their sister or their brother. This could have happened to, to my family. Um, and that was what, what compelled them to, to get involved in it. Um, and highlighting wrongful convictions or injustices was another one of the, the reasons that, that cropped up as well. So there's a whole host of different reasons that, that, that draw people in, that, that get people interested in doing this in, in the first place. And I think, and, and we'll, we'll find this out in the, the piece of research we're doing at the moment, hopefully, um, as to where the motive evolves over time. So do people get involved in, in web spoofing around a particular case uh, because... They're, they're just fascinated by it. And, and as they get deeper into it, they become quite kind of committed to it. And they, they develop that sense of justice and they develop a, a sense of proximity to the people involved and, and want to help them. So we're really interested in how motive evolves because we don't think it's something that stays static. We think it changes over time. Interesting. I think you're right there. 
Yep. That's yeah. uh, at a, this is really important information for the people who are who listen to your show, who listen to Crawl Space and Missing More Murray. And it's a question that Tim and I ask ourselves a lot. And we ask of the people that we're in communication with who are, you know, part of the group of in, you know, the web sleuths that we work with. And and even now, the, the, the question isn't fully answered as to the why. Mm-hmm. Why, why, why are we doing it? No, you're right. It changes. It, it changes. Per- perfect answer. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you don't have an answer, but other than, wow, it's just gone so far, it'd be, it'd be a shame to stop, you know? I guess, yeah. I mean, it's but, true. It's but, a real but thing. We're very fortunate to have someone like yourself and, and your colleagues and, and David Wilson to, like I said, kind of pull, pull away all of the fabric of, of the why and where it comes from. And, and it's a really fascinating look into, into this uh into this like world phenomenon phenomena. yeah this this like interwoven mm. uh go ahead because i don't know what i'm and saying we're, we're, <laughs> and we're one of the things that we're also interested in is, is why do people stop doing it so um we were we were speaking um uh, the last time we we skyped together about people who who just kind of moved away from from a case who who just gave up and said right i've had enough no more and we're interested in finding out what what is that what is the the thing that makes people walk away from something and say actually no i'm not going to be involved in this and and the, the the different ways in which people exit from from cases so people who gradually kind of peter out and and go from you know, looking at something every day to looking at something every other day, and they just they just kind of wander away um, to people who just say overnight, right, that's it, I've had enough, I'm not doing this anymore. So, so we're we're fascinated to see what's what's going on there as well. My guess is it would be a rift in the group that they investigate with. Yeah, that that could probably a, be the case. More yeah. of a personal thing, I yeah. think. And and oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that that they have. They've 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 so uh, emotionally invested themselves in a particular theory, and once a member of that group has gone against that theory, I, I think that is probably the biggest reason why they would remove themselves. Um, yeah. But also, it'd be f- interesting to see who comes back after removing themselves and what brings them back. All was of them, it, right? Was it something in the case, or was it something that another group member said? It's really. Again, it's really an onion that is uh, just keeps keeps on. on. My metaphors today are horrible. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's an onion that we're fascinated (laughs) with. Yes, we continue to be fascinated (laughs) with. Well, the the podcast is Crime Bites. Thank you very much, Liz, for joining us here today. We will be talking to you uh, soon again. I'm sure, without a doubt, we uh, really enjoy these conversations and the, the work that you and David and your colleagues do. And, you know, we feel connected to that work. So we want to uh, keep talking to you as much as we can. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and we really love listening to, to your podcast as well, because I think um, often a lot of the issues that we look at as criminologists, when I listen to one of your shows, they're all there. Uh, and they're all out there and they're in the open and you're looking at it in a really interesting way. So, so yeah, we're, we're looking forward to, to working with you again. And uh, if you want to give the name of the uh, article again and maybe the, uh, the three other co-authors that you had. Yeah, so our, our article was called What's the Deal with Web Sleuthing? And that was published in the journal Crime Media Culture at the end of 2016. And my co-authors on that particular piece of research are Dr. Adam Lyons, Professor David Wilson and Emma Kelly. Awesome. 
agree. Thank you very much, Liz. person goes missing, their loved ones often find themselves overcome with worry and grief. Bruce Maitland started the 501c3 nonprofit organization Private Investigations for the Missing because he knows this feeling all too well. When Bruce's daughter Brianna disappeared in March 2004, he was surrounded by licensed private investigators dedicated to finding her. Now his mission is to provide dedicated private investigators at no cost to other families of the missing, desperate for answers but without the financial means. Private Investigations for the Missing needs your help. To read the mission statement, make a donation, and keep up with our blog, visit us at investigationsforthemissing.org and follow us at PI for the Missing on Twitter and Facebook and Investigations for the Missing on Instagram. Because forever is too long to wait.